Hello and welcome to the Mystic Cast, where you join Jack Stafford and Deborah Little Boy, members of the Ethereum Society, the cosmic religion for the Aquarian Age, as we break down the barriers between religion, philosophy, yoga, all of which are really only aspects of the self-same quest for truth. Please note this is an independent program not produced or fact-checked by the Ethereum Society. Today, our guest is Teresa Keast. Hello, Teresa. Hi. Hello. Hello. Thank you. So happy you could join us. You're one of the national speakers of the Theosophical Society in England. I am. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's it's great to be here. I I love the idea of bringing organizations into working together. So I'm thrilled. And so Dr. King, he founded the society. Most of our audience is is members of the Ethereum Society and sympathizers. So, and they all know about... um, Theosophy, but hopefully you can co- we can cover some new new ground today, because um, yeah, there is so many between our organisation. There's so many um, overlaps. So, had you heard of the Ethereum Society before this interview? Briefly, but I didn't know a lot about um, about the society. And when I um, started reading, I was having all sorts of oh my goodness, oh my goodness, um, lots of connections. And not just connections through my work with theosophy, but through other things that I'm involved with, because I've done a lot of reading with Dolores Cannon. I'm involved in CE5 work um, through Stephen Greer and just a whole lot of interweaving. Oh, wow, really? So you're not just a theosophist? No, no. I, I teach yoga and meditation. I have a background in sort of healthy um, physical ex- physical exercise. And every time I was reading um about this society there were more and more connections so i thought yeah this will be good we're going immediately off track but uh (laughs) stephen greer and c5 so stephen greer is the secret space program and um what c5 c5 is um making a deliberate attempt at contact so groups um come together from a place of compassion from a place of unity consciousness um, in an outside environment that has been, um, either there's been UFO sightings or it's been known to be an area where there have been some energies. And this group will come together in a meditation and actually send out, especially from the heart, um, a desire for contact, um, inviting, if it's safe for contact to come um, and in just inviting it in a peaceful way, recognizing that most contact is um, for our benefit. And so it's it's a growing organization. Um, and if you look on Facebook, the number of people wanting to get involved and in sort of various groups are forming. I know in the UK, like there's a, there's a Northwest group near where I live. And it's all very informal, but there is a protocol that um, uses some sound frequencies, uses some mantras, and uses meditation for groups to work with. And have I had any success? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's, 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 it, you know, the whole can of worms in terms of what's already known but being um, kept from the public. And then there's people who are just having strange experiences or who have connections they can't explain and coming together in groups where they can talk to people of like mind with open minds on this. Uh, And it's surprising how many people resonate with it who might not even resonate with other spiritual work. They, They do have this sense that we're not alone here. We're not the only planet with life. How can we be? And, um, that's, uh, this idea that that cosmic beings that are coming into our our planes of existence are not threatening. Um, they're so yeah. far beyond us spiritually often and in their development that that they're coming to really help and make sure we don't wreck this part of the universe. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow, we've gone straight off track there, but uh, that's so fascinating that you're also interested in that, isn't it? Wow. I mean, Deborah has set up the uh, conversation here to talk about that. Have you heard of that before, Deborah, the C5? No, I haven't. But as I was listening to you, my 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 mind connects. And we had a, a guest on last week called Daniel Ingram. And he is uh, 
trying to or is putting together a network of um, uh, medical people to include all the psycho, um, psycho uh, normal, extra weird things that people are experiencing and that traditional medicine will want to just put a pill down your throat to to quieten you down and it, and so he's working with uh, and 230 of them i think uh, of people that are um traditional medicine um psychoanalysts um uh, and the whole in fact i have my mind stressed on but this whole range of people that have had psychic experiences and want to bridge that gap and what he's doing is asking it, people that that understand how energy works have having weird experiences to give their information into his data bank that so is. that he can then get funding from mainstream to to make our our, our healing system our, our medical system more encompassing mm -hmm. to encourage um and and to make, allow us to grow spiritually as opposed to dampening down it. And I just see from what you've been saying there that that network of C, C group, C, whatever it would, would be. The E5, just, yeah. Would, like close encounters five. So it, it, the first three levels of encounters it is very much them coming to us. C5 is the first time we reach out to them. Yeah. Okay. So I just see that whole that 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 would just really bond. I see the way that my 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 wanting is to bond the world, to to bring to bring all the uncommon commonalities, bring them into light, and um, show people that tomato and tomato is actually the same fruit. Yeah, and also yes. I help. I think for many people who've had these experiences, whether they've had sort of um, experiences with other energies or other entities, it helps them to realize and, and to put a framework on that. And because often they're just sent down the, there's something wrong with your mental health line. And to realize, no, you're just opening up to different planes of existence, to different consciousness. And also this concept of unity, I think as a, as a mankind, as a humankind, as we're raising our vibration as a collective whole, there's more and more people going to be connecting um, to all sorts of energies and they really want to understand. And I love the word understand because it's to stand under greater truths. So every time you understand something, you stand under a greater truth That's about very it. Good, yeah. yeah, and it helps you to, to form a framework on which you can then shift your evolution up a notch and be comfortable where you are rather than sort of being feeling like there's something wrong with me, there's something going on that's weird, being frightened of it and damping that down um, rather than embracing it and seeing it as part of, of a spiritual growth or an opening to what else is, is going on. Um, and to work in cooperation with each other, of course, is our is our strength. But for so long, we've been divided and um, encouraged to bicker on the things that really are not important. And now is is our chance, especially with this technology that we have, to to embrace it and to be proud to say it and to encourage and open the doors for people to come in and and, and you know not be frightened of of speaking about their experiences. And the more we can work together with all these groups, don't, don't, we don't need, we can still keep our tiny friendliness of the group, but be part of this bigger collective of taking our planet to a higher level. Yeah, and we know that, you know, we. I do a lot of work bringing, because I have a background in science, so I do, I love bringing science and and the ancient wisdom teachings together and that bridge that's forming that real connection um is is helping many people to understand and and bringing organizations together there are still factions even within the theosophical society there's some people who will define this as that and this is that and this isn't that yeah, it's yeah. like come on guys we're supposed to be 
um, living <laughs> a spiritual experience, and that includes a brotherhood of man. That means a brotherhood of all um, and embracing all concepts and new ideas, you know, um, not just sticking to the age-old ones. And so I'm, I've got the kind of mind, I mean, the way I see my life and my understanding, the standing under of greater truths is it's like a huge jigsaw. Now I would love to understand the whole jigsaw and see the whole jigsaw, see the whole big picture. I don't think I ever will in this lifetime. I don't know if even collectively we will, but I love it when bits and pieces or a corner of the jigsaw gets put together and suddenly my understanding of Buddhism starts merging into an understanding here of, you know, from quite different sources. And then science starts talking about consciousness here. And that links into my understanding of theosophy. And suddenly a whole part of the jigsaw has fallen into place and you get that. ah, And it's always simple and beautiful when it does that. Um, and that's really I see, I'm a theosophist, absolutely, but I don't just wear that hat. I see that as part of the jigsaw, um, a big part you, of me. Did you read The Nine Freedoms, the, the book from Dr. King? Or... No, I haven't, unfortunately. I, um, <laughs> I've been crazy busy. You so. didn't do your homework. That's okay. No, I didn't. <laughs> well, check it when you have time because it does give that spiritual evolution idea. It'd be a lot of, but maybe we'll talk more about then what, what you're doing and your lectures and um, and theosophy and practical application, trying to get us back on track here. So yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's really where I come from um, in terms of my value set. It's it's all very well to have a lot of highbrow information, but unless you can apply it in your life to help yourself and others to evolve and grow, it's not as of that much use. So I value. Um, the practical application of all of the teachings, wherever they come from. And so what I do now, um, I teach yoga. Um, I've just taught a class now. <laughs> and I teach a type of yoga called Drew Yoga, which is, I suppose, very um, yoga works on different of your bodies. You know, you have your physical body and your energy body and your emotional body, your mental body, up, right up to a subtle body that's a higher self. And this type of yoga, um, it's the type of yoga that Gandhi did. And it's the one that I've found is the most holistic. It em embraces all of those bodies. I will teach class about what a posture is doing for them emotionally, what it's doing for their mind, what it's doing for them spiritually, as well as the more physical, um, what it's doing for their energy field. And so I teach yoga. Um, I also teach meditation. I first came to meditation. Oh, I was really lucky. I grew up in, in, I'm from New Zealand, and I grew up in a family that had had no religion in our family for generations. And so I feel like I came with a, with a blank canvas, like an open palette. And I, from a very young age, was drawn to anything spiritual. I think my mum was worried I would wind up going off in some weird sect because she could see in me that there was a real calling there. So I went to church with a friend for a while. I secretly took Bible courses without my parents knowing. <laughs> um, then into my teens, I started reading some of the New Age stuff. I was just thirsty to get my hands on whatever I could read. I went off to university and I did a degree in physical education and a degree in nutrition and then started working in sort of um, people's health. I really wanted to help people to be healthier and um, enjoy their lives. And then sort of um, started getting involved with an organization, which is now called the School of Practical Philosophy. It was called the, called the School of Economic Sciences at the time, with four seats in India with um, wisdom teachers that were bringing through teachings to the West and these, this is all over the world, this organization. And the thing I loved about it is they would bring in teachings from Plato. They would bring in Shakespeare. They would bring in the Vedic teachings, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita. It was very all-encompassing, and it just opened my mind. And I went, wow, this is where I want to be. And they had, like theosophy, the three cornerstones of study, meditation, 
and um, service work. And so I was introduced to meditation quite early. I think I started meditating when I was about 23, 25, around then. And it just, it helped me so much through many trials over the sort of next 30 years. Um, it became, it, it gave me an understanding of my mind and a way to realize that, that there is a clarity and a peace in my mind behind everything that goes on. Um, so I continued when I moved, I was in New Zealand, I moved to Australia and I was doing teaching work um, and also carrying on with this organization. And then through my husband at the time's job, I came to the UK, he was British born. Um, by then I was pregnant with my eldest son. Um, <clears throat> for the next few years, basically brought up four kids <laughs> and did as much study as I could, um, moved, became aware of the Theosophical Society just after my marriage to their dad split. Um, and I think that was perfect from a soul point of view because there was a limit to how far I could go and still be comfortable in that relationship. Whereas once we split, it was sort of like, wow, I can go my own way now. I can really get into what I want to. I can be open. I had books that I was allowed to have, but they had to be in the cupboard. I could bring them downstairs and they were on the bookcase. I could start to teach my kids more about this, um, this sort of stuff. And I became involved with Theosophical Society and quite quickly started teaching. I mean, I've always been a teacher and a healer. That's sort of my path. But um, it was almost as if some of this knowledge I already knew. I could get up and do a talk and I would bring through stuff that I didn't know. <laughs> it was just like, okay. I, I had the background, but, but the, uh, the intuitive would come through. And I think with all my yoga work and all the meditation meant I was keeping clear um, for that to come through. And that's just grown. You know, I've got a YouTube channel. Um, I still do talks. You know, I'm doing a talk next weekend in Liverpool for this, for this society. I'll do this summer schools. I've done some international stuff. Um, but really, it's, it's bringing it into people's lives. How is this valuable? How is it going to help you? Um, and I can give examples, really simple examples, like when my daughter was in her teens, my my youngest two are twins. Um, they've just gone to uni. <laughs> and she was being quite badly bullied. Uh, and we were really struggling with this, really struggling how to deal with it, um, how to accept it, what to do about it. And yet I could sort of say to her, well, you know, your actions, uh, you've got to do right behavior, right action is what's right for you. You can let karma deal with the other person's actions um, because there is this, you know, what goes around comes around and eventually that person will be asked to learn from their experience of bullying like you're learning from your experience of being bullied. Um, and this is making you stronger and this means you're going to learn to um, stick up for yourself, to speak up. She'd spoken up about something. Um, that was right and good and true and um, being sort of isolated as a result of it. And I said, you know, you've still got to speak your truth. So just things like this you can introduce into your, your everyday life. Um, I've found with a lot of people the understanding that we are a personality that comes from theosophy, but there's a higher aspect to us, our soul. And we have to sort of integrate and coordinate this personality vehicle to be a good vehicle for the soul energy to come through and for us to, to walk our soul path, if you like. And, you know, the process of that personality integration and coordination involves many lessons. It involves addressing karma. It might involve bringing things through from previous lives that still need healing and resolving. It might need looking at the stuff you don't want to, that needs redeeming within yourself. You know, in terms of my yoga, it's, it's chakras below the diaphragm, 
lifting the energies up to transmute them into the chakras above the diaphragm. Um, and just when people get a perspective, okay, so this awful thing that's happened to me, why has this happened to me? And it's like, well, what capacities, what qualities are you, is it bringing out in you? What are you learning from this? What are you resolving? What are you redeeming? Um, and that understanding, you know, why would your soul bring this into your life? And I remember giving the example, I had a brief but very um, abusive relationship for a while. And I afterwards, it's like, why? <laughs> why did I get into that? Why did that happen? And I said to a friend, I sat down one day and said, okay, why? Why would my soul bring that experience into my life? And I sat down and I wrote eight A4 pages of all the things I had learned as a result of that experience. Wow. And when I looked at those pages, I thought, from a soul point of view, I knew this person for four years of my life. How could I ever have learned that much in four years? It's really efficient. Now, <laughs> maybe I needed to be at a stage where I was prepared to sort of go through it and, and look at it that way and take on that lesson. But from a soul perspective, that was really, you know, it was like the the, the heads of Hercules. It was real. <laughs> um, it was just one challenge after another. Um, and the interesting thing is I see a lot of clients one-to-one -one, and I think I have used all of those eight pages to help others. So, oh, that's very true. Yeah. And so you sort of, when you have that level of understanding, there's no doubt that that burnt away a lot of karma, that redeemed a lot in me, that gave me incredible growth. And I've been able to use it to help other people. And when you look at it from that perspective, would you go through it again? Actually, you would. Do you see what I mean? It changes that understanding, that standing under grace of truth just changes the way you see it. So instead of poor me going through this, why does this happen to me? From a sort of a fear point of view, you open up into that expansive love of your soul and say, okay, I know that my soul has my highest good um, always. So let's find it. What is it? Um, and that's, that's it's just, it's simply changing your mind. It's mm -hmm. stepping back like we do in meditation and being the observer of your own life and saying, okay. And I sometimes say to people, you know, what are the patterns in your relationships? Because our relationships are often our greatest teachers. What are the patterns? What's this theme going through your life? And people go, oh yeah, it's this. Okay. Why would that theme be coming through your life? And sometimes, you know, it's coming from a previous life. It's, you know, you, you can, someone can, can go into a regression or a hypnosis, or sometimes in meditation, there's a spontaneous awareness of a previous life. And suddenly it's like, oh, that makes sense. You know, if you were burnt as a witch, you're going to have trouble being open and honest about beliefs that set you aside from people, aren't you? You know, it's like, yeah, that's why I don't want everyone to know that I'm part of this society or that society or I do this or I do that. It's it's just makes sense. Yeah. So it's I suppose I like the the understanding um, you know, that, that theosophy brings. I like the way I can understand history. You know, I can watch things um I watch a lot of the Gaia channel and I can watch their programs on ancient civilizations. And then I can understand, say, the anthropogenesis of theosophy. And I can see how science is starting to question our current model of how humans evolved, how we came to this planet, how the universe was formed. Um, you know, how do we suddenly go from primitive to intellectual self-aware? Well, maybe some beings came in that helped us. Do you know what I mean? And these questions that, that are answered by theosophy. So you still have a hunger for truth. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, I, it's it's a roller coaster ride that I love. Um, I 
it's obviously just the way I'm wired, but yeah, I do. I like finding those pieces of the jigsaw. I suppose you could say I'm a, I'm a massive fan of the jigsaw of life. Um, it's yeah. Do you find when you're when you're working with people in a group or individual that you you're actually quote from the teachings of philosophy, or or do you temper it to your own understanding but use that as a background? So, in other words, are you pre are you preaching um, verse? And no, you, no. So I don't have the sort of brain that remembers. Um, like you asked me about a quote word for word, I won't remember it, but you asked me what it means and what the essence of it is, I can tell you. You asked me to give you an example so you understand it in your life, I can tell you. So I suppose I come more from that that perspective than, um, I mean, I can quote verbatim, you know, from Secret Doctrine or from Bailey's teachings or some of, um, but even for example, like I love to read the Bhagavad Gita and I don't like reading people's analysis of the Bhagavad Gita because it spoils what I get from it. So they talk about it being a song celestial. I like reading it and just absorbing the energy of it and an understanding at a level that my intellectual brain might not even get, but my heart and soul sings with. So sometimes I'll just read the Bhagavad Gita because of how it makes me feel, not looking for intellectual understanding because I know there's some kind of understanding resonating with my soul. Um, and then if I go and read the, the analysis of it, I'll get more, but sometimes it detracts from it. So I, I do come from it from a different point of view than a lot of people, yeah. I've got a parallel just drawn straight there. We we interviewed a guy called um, Andrew Cohen. Correct, jump in if I'm getting all these names wrong, Jack. Um, and he was talking um, about whatever he was talking about, actually. But I was, and he spoke very, very quickly. Now, I knew that what he was saying was interesting and, and, I, and would something that would be good to listen back on but that's not where I was at all. I felt my my feet go into the ground like grow roots. Almost like my ears became like a like a bunny's ears, and I just took that vibration. So being in that space with that man, and I didn't want him to stop because it made me feel so good. And, um, then, and then, of course, Jack yeah. said something like, "And what have you got to add to this, Deborah?" And of course, man, said. <laughs> I, I had to say something like, well, do you know, um, <laughs> you, you probably, I mean, that's, you know, my understanding is, uh, and I teach this a lot, really, if we want to help mankind, if we want to make a difference to this planet, to its people, to the planet as a being herself, the best thing we can do is raise our vibration. Do you know what I mean? And when people start to understand, and that's just that's not just in terms of our spiritual, embracing our spiritual teachings, but that's things like being aware of what different foods do to the vibration in your body, being aware of the connection in nature raises your vibration, being aware that having a home full of light, that you can use light and sound to influence your vibration. So really, I feel like you were connecting with him on a vibration level. And we are here to raise our vibration. And when we do that, we raise the vibration of everyone around us, whether they're consciously aware of that or not. So if I'm, if I'm raising my vibration and I'm being my authentic self and my energy is good, and I just go and shop in a supermarket, um, and I chat to the girl on the checkout and I have some kind of interaction, I'm raising the vibration of those people just by being who I am, just by letting that light shine. And often what it does is it sparks something in others where they start to seek. There's something about that. And like you're saying about the speaker, there was something about his energy. I knew he had some truths for me. I knew that he was affecting my energy. Um, and that's on an intuitive level. Yeah. Well, that's why the teachings of the Ethereum Society are so special is because, yeah, Madame Blavatsky, she was, was amazing. 
but she was a so she was a, a psychic she received clairaudience and she or she wrote them down she channeled Annie Blessant as well I mean they're yeah. you know so it's this type of mediumship and some people go into trance and they go to a negative trance and they let people talk through them but you never know who you're going to get mm-hmm. and you usually get somebody lower than you but yeah. Dr. King he did uh, positive trance so he could he raised Kundalini all the way up to you know he went into Samadic trance yeah. and that's the whole so then you can get people way above you and mm-hmm. so he, he used so we get the actual voice of the master jesus the actual voice of cosmic masters and you they say your internal vibrations have, have forever been uttered altered by certain things they've received and uh, so even if you just just by hearing them i'm actually volunteering to uh there's a because there's 600 transmissions mm-hmm. and there's dr king did addresses every sunday at and he did lectures so there's a lot of the work with the society is just transcribing and checking and proofing and writing summaries of because we just got this audio cloud project where we're putting them all available because for karmic reasons you can't we can't just put them on youtube people have to pay for it there's a but if there's been this it's been decided that if people pay a subscription yeah that counts as a there's so got to be you, an energy exchange. There's got to be yeah. an energy exchange. So, yeah. so I'm volunteering for that. I'm getting to hear all these transmissions, and it's uh, you know it's mind blowing. I was listening to one the other day about a meeting on Shambhala between the masters K H and M and lo- so- solar solar lords and other masters like, and they were talking about um, going back to your C five, and uh, they were saying that they were debating whether it took a vote on whether there should be communications between the realms, whether spiritualists should be able to receive. So just, it's so interesting to be able to know, like, because I was also thinking, um, I'm going on a bit here, but it is, it's, uh, I was thinking about when the Theosophical Society was founded, that was after kind of the age of spiritualism and there was all these seances and that was a, that was a project by those on the higher realms to, to get people aware of the other realms and that there's yes, there spirit. Right. And, and the then, problem is that you can just bring through the astral. Do you know what I mean? If you're only going as far as the astral, you, you get all kinds of entities. Whereas if you yourself have lifted up onto higher planes, if you're on a higher mental or even a buddhic plane, you are then in touch with beings of a, a similar vibration and you can bring through all sorts of really valuable. And I think I can see that the masters would be, mm, well, there's some people on the planet who who are, I suppose, have the kind of spiritual awareness of the whole and of, of causing no harm and of right action and right relations and all of this to bring through that higher stuff. But there's many people who still got a lot of ego or lower personality involvement in that and that can be very dangerous oh yeah just to add to that that uh, so then all these ufo sightings are another program it's been Mm. started by the cosmic masters and they in the transmissions they say this is a this is a program we're going to to get you to look up you know raise your consciousness we're going to do all these like they're not just they got better things to do than fly around uh you know Doing loop for loops and exactly, uh, and that goes hand in hand. Also, I think I know there seems to be um, a greater awareness of astrology, for example, as a key to understanding. You know, you talk about people looking up and connecting with the cycles in nature, connecting with the lunar cycles, understanding that, for example, at the full moon when groups come together in meditation. There's the power of those groups is logarithmic. It's open, the power to invocate, ask for help from higher beings, to send energy out, to help to heal um, mankind. Like um, when the Gulf um, conflict, uh, I think the, the week that the Gulf conflict really hit the headlines um, in that week, I think I was involved, involved in five different worldwide meditations, just where people are raising their consciousness and from their heart, having an intention for peace. 
And not all of those were spiritual organizations. There's a growing awareness and it comes with the age of Aquarius of this power of group consciousness of working on the inner planes as a group. And all it requires of people of, of good heart or what in theosophy we say, goodwill, the will to good, um, responding to those energies. And we're seeing more of that even in the last six months. I'm seeing more of that because I teach meditation and I have done for years, I've seen a real change. It was something that only weird people did or strange <laughs> people did. You know, um, My kids probably wouldn't have told their mates what their mum was like so many years ago. Now they're quite proud of what their mum does. Do you know what I mean? There's been a yeah, shift. Yeah. Meditation is, is it's much trendier. It's much more mainstream. Um, there's, a, you know, the acceptance that you see, we're seeing such radical change even in our lifetime and a lot of it a lot of it's negative but i tend to see that as you've got to excise the the wound before you can heal it um we're seeing a rise in awareness of all the dark forces and what they're about um and that's a good sign because that only happens when the light increases when there's more light workers working yeah. um, covid opened my eyes a lot you know i was quite you read about, you know, we are in the dark forces and that, but you don't see them in action as. <laughs> yeah. Well, and people are, are, you know, people that would never have spoken out are producing, you know, videos yeah. to raise yeah. awareness. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and remember, I mean, some of, one of the books I read, um, and it's more a scientific book, it was by, um, I'm trying to think of his name. David Hawkins. I don't know if you've ever read Force Versus Power. And he did a lot of studies. He was basically um, trying to map consciousness to give it numerical values and to um, explore the nature of consciousness. And he and what he did basically, and I won't explain how, you can you can go and read that yourself if you want to, but he had a map of conscious of human consciousness. And the lowest value, the lowest vibration of consciousness was shame. So people would rather have anger, hate, jealousy, or guilt than shame. Shame was down at a 20. It was the one we avoid at all costs. And many addictions come from the level of shame because that person just cannot bear shame. Um, much of narcissism is shame. Um, and then as you moved up, you got to sort of fear and anger at about 200. And that equates to about the solar plexus chakra. And then as you started to move up into the higher vibrations, and this is the vibration that you usually, your sort of base level, how you usually are. You got up into some of the um, compassion. You got up into peace and love. I mean, these were quite high vibrations right up to the level of avatar, fully realized, fully perfected being who's radiating at a level of a thousand. And then he did some calculations on the effects that these people just by being present on the earth. And this is where we know there are beings from other planets, from other systems who, are, who just need to be here. And, you know, I think it was... 15% of the world vibrating at a level around about sort of lifting up out of anger toward love, um, lifting up into peace and unity and compassion, holds the energy of the planet for the other 85% who are below 200, who are right in those yeah. low vibrations. That really fits with the teachers. Yeah. And this is why we haven't destroyed ourselves. <laughs> so 15%. It's a bit like the Maharishi effect with um, with meditation. So 15% hold can lift the rest of humanity unconsciously above that 200 level up into growth. Now, I think it was only, I can't remember the exact figures, but they blew your mind. It was something like someone resonating from a place of love with an open heart most of the time affects something like um, 750,000 people just 
by being present on the earth. When you started moving up into someone like the Dalai Lama, like Desmond Tutu, like some the of ascended masters, you know, they ascended, oh, they're they're way up at avatar level. One avatar, and this is where we start to understand avatars like the Christ and the Buddha, can lift the whole vibration of humanity and hold it above into a gross level. Um, just one avatar walking on the earth. But even <laughs> even these these beings, these people who are vibrating at a higher level, they were affecting millions simply by being. This has nothing to do with the other work they're doing in the external work, simply by raising their vibration and holding it. And so we, had Mike, uh, we, had, we had Michael Gelb on, Deborah. He was talking about this map of consciousness for David Hawkins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's brilliant. You want to read it. And... And I think COVID really showed me this playing out because what you watched was an orchestrated campaign of fear being yeah. installed into people to drop their levels such to they got to the point where they would do anything you it told them really well. to avoid the fear, to avoid yeah. that doubt, to avoid how they were feeling. And it took a really conscious effort. I found, you know, especially when you lock, I was locked at home with three teenagers, took a real conscious <laughs> effort <laughs> trying to do two of them, trying to do their GCSEs online. You can twins doing that. You can imagine that. Um, it took a conscious effort to maintain my vibration up in love. It was a, a, a conscious, absolute awareness of doing that. You know, because I've done a lot of work with the Course in Miracles and with the teachings that came through the course, I understand that we can only be in one of two vibrations. We're either in love or we're in fear, and you can't, they don't coexist. Really? Yeah. So from the teachings, it says that love is connection. So when we're in love, not romantic love, but in love, vibrating with love, we are connected. We understand we're, that's unity consciousness. Well, blessed are they who love is the, uh, is the third yeah. blessing in the... Uh... Yeah, blessed are they who love, exactly. But when we feel disconnected, separate, isolated, this is fear. So fear doesn't actually exist. Fear is simply an absence of love. Well, fear is the first freedom as well in the 12, 12 freedoms. Oh, yeah. And so once you know that you can only be in fear or in love. And any moment you can say, well, what would love do? Am I in fear? Notice you've dropped down into fear. And you know, everybody knows when they've dropped down into fear. You notice your thought patterns. You notice the ego gets a hold on your mind. You know that your soul doesn't get such a look in. You go into patterns and old behaviors and, and you know, you're vulnerable to the unconscious mind where all those sort of old patterns reside whereas if you lift up into love and you can do this consciously um and it's interesting this is something that i noticed last night i was so thrilled there's a beautiful documentary movie that was made um i can't remember the name of the guy but he got the dalai lama and sir desmond tutu together for a week and filmed them because they're really great mates. They're like two kids together and asked them about how they maintain joy despite all the challenges of themselves individually and the, the people that they, um, that they, that follow them. And these two men came from Buddhist and from Christian belief systems but their commonality was beautiful and the interaction between them, the joy in each other's company was beautiful. Now this film's called Mission Joy and it's just hit Netflix. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't sort of hold much with Netflix, it means it's out there in the mainstream. So watch it because you'll understand they are consciously you know, Desmond Tutu ran a lot of the reconciliation tribunals after apartheid in South Africa. He could easily have dropped down into fear and despair with what he was witnessing and hearing, but he would continually raise, and that faith, you know, his Christian faith would raise him into a place of compassion and love. So he was consciously doing that. The Dalai Lama does the same. He's been trained 
to lift into compassion. You know, the, the Buddhist teachings of, of thinking in the heart and opening the heart. So it, it just thrilled me that it's, it's mainstream because that means it will touch so many people on a level, even if they're not consciously aware of it. It's so powerful. Um, and people just don't realize that every thought goes out there. And we, we in the society have, have been trained um, to, if you get a wrong thought, and hey, we all get them. So mm-hmm. if you see it, you can we can bring it, um, actually mentally bring it back in and bring, it, bring the fire into the solar plexus and bring that energy back, called the mental hand practice, which sounds really simple, and it is really simple, but does it work? Once you get used to it, you can feel the energy go back in. Yes. That's the, yes. So when you get to know how your robot, this is this robot body works and it becomes sensitive to the energies, it's like, whoa, that was a real good catch you got there, Deborah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least that one didn't go out for, for very long. And you that, know, it was, it's... That's a, a, a unity, that's a collective responsibility that you feel, isn't it? And that's mm-hmm. that's what's missing in our world. I think if people realize that every thought, every intention, every action doesn't just disappear, you know, and this is where karma in a way is is useful uh, Mm. and that people sort of start to understand cause and effect, uh, that you are contributing to that astral body, that energy surrounding our, our earth, surrounding her as an entity and affecting all minds. Um, because we're all connected and if you know if you understand and Blavatsky writes about this in the secret doctrine that um, very negative emotions and those thoughts that are very negative have a very dense energy and vibration so they're they're actually really difficult to shift they're they're just they're heavy they got a stuckness. They, they have a stuckness. And the more you've gone around that groove, the deeper the groove and the more stuck they are. It becomes a pattern and a defining personality trait. But if you lift up into the higher planes, as say as we do in meditation or visualization or just observing that thought, you're observing it from the level of a higher plane, energy is easy to move up there. It's much freer, it's lighter, and you can um, counteract. Just a few people working up on those higher planes can counteract the dense, heavy energy of negativity that surrounds our planet. So every time you do what you describe, Deborah, you're just you're you know you're you're lighting up that auric field of our planet. And if people just understood this, the metaphysics uh, of it, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it would make a difference. I think they would, oh, it's sort of like, it's a bit like, I think, it's a bit like if everyone knew that all the rubbish that they put in their bin one day will be dumped back in their house, you would be very careful about what you bought, (laughs) what rubbish you created. Do you know what I mean? We, If that kind of that level of responsibility. So if you think of your thoughts in that way, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it does bring on a, a whole new understanding of it. Well, Teresa, this has been wonderful. I mean, much more than I'd hoped for, and I hope for a lot. So <laughs> how can people learn more about you, follow you? Okay. Um, on Facebook and Instagram, if you look for Teresa for yoga, so T-E-R-E-S-A, the number four yoga, you'll find me. Um if you want to go on my website, which will link to YouTube and everything, it's TeresaFullYoga.co.uk. Um, so the whole YouTube channel with with all sorts from relaxations you can do to science meets spirituality to more theosophical stuff to health stuff. There's all sorts on the YouTube channel, and um, I'm I often I'm putting stuff on there quite regularly. Um, as I, you know, if I'm teaching people, I'll record it and pop it up there. So those are the main places. You know, you'll, you'll, if you do Teresa for Yoga, um, UK or uh, Chester, North Wales, you'll find me. 
Okay, wonderful. Yeah. And do you ever go over to London? Sometimes I'm uh, I'm involved with Lucius Trust, which is the organisation that another um, theosophical teacher, Alice Bailey, later worked. She bought through the teachings of the Master Dwell Cool, and they're called the Blue Books. There's um, a huge number. I think there's about twenty five of these Blue Books that are pure. You know, you can it'll take you years to read one. The amount of sort of knowledge in them is incredible and she brought in a lot of esoteric astrology esoteric psychology from the seven rays all sorts of understandings um, about humanity about the different um, charts of different nations and the different planets and all of this Um, and so the Lucius Trust is an organization that um, sort of runs, I suppose, parallel side by side with the Theosophical Society. Sometimes they don't agree and they do this fact. <laughs> and thing. Um, I'm probably one of the people who walks in both. Um, yeah, you're a you're an interesting chart, I imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, so the... The Lucius Trust sometimes have conferences in London, and and if I can, I'll make it down there. Um, oh well, if you if you're ever there, Deborah, just let Deborah know and meet up and show you around the center. Yeah, that would be lovely. And our president, um, Richard Lawrence, he gets he's had some messages from Madame Blavatsky as well, and uh, he's a really interesting guy. If you get a meeting with him as well, I'm sure he'd love to chat to you. And uh, yeah, well, I'm quite like- keen to um, to read up more about because I like the way your society brings in the uh, you know the theosophical society sometimes concentrates too much just on the earth there's not this broader um I mean it's there deeper in the teachings Mm. but in terms of practical every day this understanding of um other planets of other universes of the fact that we might have had incarnations on many planets i mean theosophical society very much looks to sirius as the um the guiding i suppose light for planet earth as the higher self venus as well venus is like the higher self for the earth but but your society seems to embrace this in theosophy you sometimes get the impression the masters are just here for the earth it's like no (laughs) um because it's all connected how can that be so yeah Um, it's the times for teachings isn't it it's uh so yeah well we can keep going and you'll just have to come back on the show again and we'll go deeper into 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 things thank you so much if people want to learn more about the Ethereist society then go to ethereist.org wonderful namaste thank you Bye-bye. Bye now.